Well, good morning. Glad you're here. Um, we're in Luke chapter 4. And so if you can turn there in your Bible. You can go to a Bible app. You can turn to Luke chapter 4. Um, that's where we're going to be this morning um, and part of chapter 5 uh, as, we, as we go into our series. We've been in our series just for two weeks. This is the second week called Seek and to Save. And uh, that's kind of like the Superman logo there. I've, I've been wanting them to get the Superman music to play to get you to sit down like it comes in. Da, 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 and then you can, anyway. But, so, seek, seek and to save the Son of Man. And we talked about this, I'll say it every week. The theme of the book of Luke is the Son of Man. It, it's all the way through the book. He says it over and over again. The Son of Man does this. The Son of Man, the Son of Man, the Son of Man. And we're going, what does that even mean? They had the same question. The, the Jews of their day the, the term son of man meant a lot of different things. It, it was supposed to be the reference to Daniel and the Messiah in the Old Testament. Daniel said the son of man will come to rescue. It was this idea. And so they had all these expectations with this idea of the son of man. And so Luke is writing his gospel very detailed, by the way. Luke was a physician, so he was a very detailed person. And he's writing his gospel to kind of surgically just cut away and let people see who Jesus really is. And he walks through it very detailed. And as we said last week, we kind of dropped ourselves into chapter 3. We didn't do the first two chapters. We're going to come back and do those at the end during the Christmas season. And this morning, here's the question I want you to deal with. What is this message? What is this message? To seek and to save. To seek and to save what? Like, like, what are we seeking? What are we saving? Like, what is this message that you hear as we read these first few chapters of Luke? Because the people of Jesus' day were just as confused by all the messages they were hearing as we are today. There are tons of confusing messages. Just turn to different news networks. Look at different news feeds on your phone. Like, you can have the same facts and the same story and read the same thing and be like, is, is this the same? Like, I don't, this doesn't even look the same. Like, how did you take that and get that from this? And it's very confusing. It was no different in Jesus' day. It, they, they were no less confused in their day than we are now. There were just as many problems, just as many issues, just as many leaders doing crazy stuff as there are today as there were in Jesus' day. And Jesus came and spoke clearly to the issues of his day. He spoke clearly as to what was really going to be sought and saved and what clearly his message was going to be. And really, it's the message of the Bible for all of eternity. And so when we drive in or dive in to Luke, Luke 19.10 is really the theme of the entire gospel. It says, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. That's where we got our title from. I didn't just pull it out of thin air to make some popular catchy phrase. This is what Jesus said his mission was. Jesus said, the Son of Man, that's me, has come to seek and to save that which is lost. Jesus came from heaven to earth to seek out and to save. But here's the deal. Have you ever been given a message that you didn't ask for? <laughs> a boss, a friend, a spouse, a kid gives you a message you, you didn't ask for. I didn't ask you to tell me what I did wrong. I didn't ask you to tell me this, right? Why did you even come to me with this? I don't care. That's exactly the problem with Jesus. Jesus came from heaven to earth, and we didn't ask him to come. 
He just came because he's God and he can. And he's going, trying to make sense of the mess we're in. And we can either embrace that he came and then come to him or we can push away. And he also came to seek. So it's one thing to come. It's another thing to like seek, to stalk you. <laughs> like I didn't ask to be stalked. I didn't ask for you to seek me. I didn't ask for your word. I didn't ask for any of this. And yet it keeps coming on me. And you have a choice to make, to either push it away or to embrace it. And that's no different today than it was in Jesus' day, that he came to seek and to save. But see, the other problem is, is you're like, I don't even think I need to be saved. I'm doing fine. My bills are paid. Things are going great. We're going on vacation in a week. I don't need to be saved. Go save somebody else. I'm good. No different than Jesus' day. That he's trying to help people see that they need to be saved. And most of the people that he talks to are like, oh, we're good. We're fine. Everything's cooking along. Could be worse. We've had it worse in the past. We're just going to try to keep what we got. And then lost. To have someone look at you and say, you need to be saved and you're lost. And you're like, nope, I got GPS. I, I don't get lost anymore. I can type it in my phone unless I don't have service. Then, then it's a little scary. But then I just have to drive a while until little bars pop up and then I'm good again. You see, this message is just as unpopular today as it was then because it has so many connotations to it. I didn't ask you to come. I didn't ask you to seek me out. I don't think I need to be saved, and I don't even think I'm lost. So get away. And that's the same thing we see as we try to tell people about the message, what the message of Christ is today, that there's confusion. Why did you even, I didn't ask you to come. Why do you keep bugging me? I'm good. No difference. And Jesus is diving into his earthly ministry. He's lived 30 years by this point. He's stepping out for the first time after 30 years of life to begin to do the ministry he was called to do. He's been working construction 18 years. And he's done with construction and now it's time to do what the God, what the God of the universe sent him and called him to do. And so he goes out and he preaches his first message and this is what we saw that happened to him after his first message last week. Here it is. They got up, they drove him out of town and brought him to the edge of the hill that their town was built on intending to hurl him over the cliff. But he passed right by through the cloud and went on a crowd and went on his way. Bad first message. <laughs> I came to seek and to save that was lost. No one wanted his message. We, we're going to throw you off a cliff. We don't like what you have to say. And it's the same way today that you try to, to say what God says about the world and about who he is and about the need for being saved and being forgiven and that we're lost without an authority, without someone helping us know what to do. We're, we're a lost people and everyone just wants to throw and hurl that message off the cliff. Who are you to tell me what to do? It's no different. It's a hard message and at this point, what ends up happening is, for the next chapter or so, Jesus' actions start to spread. People start to hear, and now the religious leaders start showing up to challenge Jesus, to object to him, to begin to fight the message that he's bringing, because here's the deal. If Jesus' message is true, the first ones that realize they're in trouble are the religious folks. Because they realize the whole system we've got built is built on making people guilty so that we can extort from them. 
And the message that he has is going to ruin that for us and we can't make money. We can't keep people under our control. We can't make the Romans do what we want them to do maybe someday when the Messiah comes and he beats them up for us. And the religious leaders get this and they begin to see this and they're wondering what is this message we're hearing about? Because see, it was normal for false prophets and false teaching to happen. We see it today. There are people who claim to have this message and then we find out they're nuts. They're crazy, they don't have a message, they're literally nuts. Or people come with the message and then later what ends up happening is the truth about who they really are, their character comes out and you begin to go, oh, well should I believe the message? Because their character doesn't match the message. What they really taught and what's perceived in public are two separate things. And that's how cults happen. Cults don't give you the whole truth up front. What a cult does is it gives you what you want to hear up front. Then you get in and then they begin to put the pressure on you to manipulate you and control you to do what they say you should do. The Bible is the complete opposite. God gives you all of him up front. His justice, his wrath, his mercy, his love. He gives it all to you up front and then says, make a decision. And when you make a decision, you better be ready. Because it's all of me. I don't just give you the parts you want. I bring all of me. And it's good. Because I love you. And I've come to save you and to seek you out. And we're going to go on mission together. And they're going to want to throw you off a cliff. It's normal. Like, Like God just... He gives it all up front. He's not hiding out. And so as we read this this morning, there's some hard things here because I just want to give it to you all up front. I don't want to hide anything. I'm not trying to convince you that my God's better than some other God. There's only one God. There can't be two. Otherwise, they have to battle it out and see who really is God because God is one God. Like There has to be a supreme being over everything. So this is what we see. Now dive in. Chapter 4, verse 31. Jesus is following a pattern and a mission. He starts in Galilee. It says, then he went down to Capernaum. So he's traveling down from Nazareth, a town in Galilee, and was teaching them on the Sabbath. He was teaching them on the Sabbath. He was probably teaching in their synagogues. He was traveling to synagogues. The synagogue of that day, was, was the, the word synagogue in Greek means place of assembly. It's just a place where people would assemble on a regular basis because they couldn't travel to Jerusalem every single week. And so what they do is they would gather together in these synagogues. And they were a place for for community, for for Israelite Jewish community. Not necessarily a building. Sometimes there was a building. Sometimes it was just a community center they met in. And these early synagogues were the first buildings representing a monotheistic space for people in the in the polytheistic many gods of their culture, okay? Listen, in Galilee, there was more, there was the highest concentration of synagogues in the entire world in Galilee at this time. Over 50 synagogues in the area of, small area of Galilee. They found a lot of them in archaeological digs. These synagogues were packed. So if Jesus starts his ministry, what he's doing is he's going first to the people who should know better and telling them first. He's going straight to the family, to those around him, the people who knew him. Jesus grew up for 30 years in Galilee. He had probably been to many of these synagogues. He knew their families. He had connected with them. He was no stranger, most likely, to them. And so he's traveling through Galilee as someone who was probably known, and he's going into the synagogues like he had done before, but now he's going in differently. 
He's taking a different approach when he goes in than he did before, and they don't know what to do with it. And it says, they were astonished at his teaching because his message had authority. In other words, what was happening in these synagogues, churches, if you want to say, was there was this teaching going on, but it wasn't with authority. It was this teaching of, oh, just be a better person, just just do your best, it's no big deal. We're just hanging out, we're just friends, it's just a community, we're a family. There was no rebuke. There was no encouragement to do what was right. There, it was just this thin veneer. It wasn't real. And so they were amazed because now Jesus is teaching and he's teaching with authority. He's saying, this is what the Father says. This is what God Almighty says. Now what are you gonna do about it? And that's what his message was that almost got him thrown off the cliff. He said, this is God's message, now what are you going to do about it? And they're like, we're going to throw you off a cliff. <laughs> and now he's going to each synagogue, and they're running him out of the synagogues, and he's running out of places to go. So he's, he's going through these synagogues, and, he, and they're like, oh, wow, he teaches with authority. And then they realize, wait, he's telling us he's the authority, and he expects us to respond to it. How dare he? And this is what happens. And you see him just continue to travel travel until finally three and a third years later he's ready to give his life in Jerusalem because he's spoken the word to those who need to hear he's done everything he can to give the message that God his father has called him to give and it goes on and it says in the synagogue there was a man with an unclean demonic spirit who cried out with a loud voice leave us alone what do you have to do with us Jesus of Na Jesus Nazarene have you come to destroy us I know who you are the holy one of God but Jesus rebuked him and said, be quiet, come out of him. <laughs> okay, we're sitting in church, right? All of a sudden, someone stands up and they're having a demonic episode right now. Someone you know, probably someone that they knew, a family member is having a demonic episode at this moment. I mean, you always knew they were kind of a crazy family member, but now it's coming out. Like, they're not just crazy. They got real spiritual issues. And they're standing up. This has happened in our church before. Look, we're not charismatic like crazy, smack you in the head, knock you over this morning. That's not going to happen. But we've had demonic people. I had a guy, when we first planted our church, who walked up on the front row in a ninja mask with crosses on and sat down right in front of me, staring at me. And I'm like, I hope he doesn't pull something out of his backpack and attack me right now. And I had to begin to change my message and speak to him and make him uncomfortable until the point he got up and went around the back and changed his clothes again. I've seen it. See, we don't expect this. They weren't expecting this either. When Jesus shows up, spiritual things happen that mess with you. <laughs> See, they'd had this guy, demonic guy in their, their, their congregation for who knows how long, and they just, well, yeah, he's, that's just Bob. I don't know what to do with him. He's just, he's got a demon. Like, Bob's really messed up. Have you confronted him? No, we just try to keep Bob away from the kids. It's the best we can do. Like, I mean, like, Jesus is like, and now the demon sees Jesus, and while he can mask himself to everyone else, when Jesus shows up in the synagogue, he knows he's in trouble. He's like, I'm found out. The son of God is here. And so he immediately speaks. He's like, I can't. I got to hold out before he kills me. I'm going to try. I'm going to get him before he gets me. And so he speaks up. And I love how Jesus is like, rebukes him and says, be quiet. Listen, you don't want demonic people speaking on your behalf. That typically doesn't go well. If you put demonic people on your job description and resume for your boss or you're trying to get hired by to call, you're probably not going to get the job. 
They're going to call and be like, yeah, 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 he's crazy. He's crazy like me. Yeah, you should hire him. Yeah, yeah. And you're click. I don't, okay, that one's off. Who's the next job? Like, that's what's going to happen. Jesus knows this. He's like, Satan is trying to derail this. And what he's trying to do is he's trying to declare things about me I'm not ready to declare yet. And he's trying to declare things about me that while they're true, they're being declared in the wrong way. And he's like, you don't have permission to speak. Can you imagine that? Someone said, you don't have permission to speak, sit down. You guys be like, okay, that's awkward. Let's find a new church next Sunday. I'm not sure how that went down, but that's the weirdest thing I've ever seen. I'm not going back, right? It should be normal. Whenever Jesus shows up, there's a war every time. They try to throw him out of the church. Demons start talking. It's crazy. And yet for us, if that happens, we're like, oh, there's something wrong with that church. Maybe there's something wrong with all the other synagogues that won't address these issues in people's lives. Maybe it's not this synagogue where Jesus is, but it's the other ones where they're just hanging out pretending everything's okay when it's not. He goes on and look at what happens. He says, and throwing him down before them. Listen, that's not Jesus throwing the guy down. The demon threw him down, okay? It says, and throwing him down, because if you follow the Greek in the first passage, it's not referring to Jesus being like, shut up, boom. Now, while that would look really cool, that's not what happened, okay? The demon threw him down. The demon came out of him without hurting him at all, which is amazing, because in other passages, we read in the New Testament, when, when these demonic things were happening, they would hurt the people. There was one kid that kept being thrown on the fire, and he had burns, because the demon would come into him and he would just do crazy things. And it says, amazement came over all of them. And they kept saying to one another, what is this message? We have never seen anything like this. We've never seen someone teach with the authority of the Old Testament and the authority that Jesus teaches with. And we have never seen demons come out of people. There's some crazy stuff here happening that we haven't seen before. And they're asking the right question. What is this message? What are we supposed to do with this? And that's what you would be asking. I mean, you might even be sitting on the back row being like, I just want to see how they're going to handle this. I don't know what's going to go down. I want to see what they're going to do this guy. I'm just, I don't even care what's spoken now. I'm just watching. Like, I just... I just want to see what's going to go down. They're going to tackle him? What, I mean, this is going to be interesting to watch right now. You can pull out your phone. You're not helping. You're just recording, right? Like, i got to put this on YouTube, get a million hits. You know, I'm not going to help the pastor. I just got to record him, man. That's awesome. This is my pastor, you know. I'll be like, what were you doing? Help me out here. It's the same thing that we see here. For he commands the unclean spirits with authority and power, and they come out. We've been trying to help Bob his whole life and we couldn't help him he was so messed up and we did everything we could do and all of a sudden Jesus shows up and a demon comes out of him and Bob's a different guy now what in the world just happened and they recognize that and it says the news began to, to go to every place in the vicinity of course it did if that happened in a church service you'd be telling your friends you'd be telling their friends and be like my friend told me about his church you got to hear this story some guy walked in, he was in a ninja mask, had crosses on, sat in the front row. It was crazy to watch. I didn't know what was going to happen. He stripped down first in his underwear before he came in. That actually happened. Like, this is what happened. 
You can't make this stuff up. And you go, well, that's kind of strange. It shouldn't be. It should be like if we're actually doing what Christ wants, there's going to be a battle. It's hard because we live in a world that doesn't want this message. And it says, it began to spread. Now, we're going to read some more miracles about Jesus. We're just going to read through them here, okay? Go through what these miracles he does as he's going to these synagogues and teaching. Can I tell you something? If you took all the recorded miracles that we have of Jesus in the New Testament, okay? He really didn't do that many. He averaged less than one a month that we have recorded. Now he might have done ones that we don't have recorded. But Jesus averaged one a month. In three and a third years, somewhere around 40 miracles are what we have recorded in the New Testament that Jesus did that they wrote down, okay? Might have been a little bit more than 40, somewhere along in there. But if you do the math, he did about one a month. That's it, just enough to keep you guessing, right? Like you come back the next week to synagogue and, and he's like, Hey, welcome everybody. I just have a little word for you. Here's a psalm. Have a great week. And you're like, well, that wasn't like last week. You know, you come back the next week and he's like, hey, I got another, another psalm to read about my dad, my heavenly father. Here, here's a psalm for you. And you're like, well, that was boring. Like, you know, third week, same thing, you know. And you're like, what? I don't, you know, and I don't know if I want to keep, I thought this was going to be a happening church. And it's like, it's not, it's kind of boring now. Like, I was expecting a big show every time I went. He did about one miracle a month, and sometimes they weren't in synagogues. It was feeding the 5,000 on a hillside, or the 4,000, or healing a demonic man in, in near, when he crossed a, river, or a lake. Like, it wasn't always in the synagogues. He probably only per performed a handful of miracles in the synagogues, in the church, so to speak. Most of them were outside among the lost, among the broken, among the hurting. And of course, you'd be like, well, if you won't do it for me, I'm not going to believe that you know, it goes, does it for those sinners, those bad people. And that's exactly what we see that happens next. After he left the synagogue, he entered Simon's house. This is Simon Peter, by the way. Simon the fisherman, Peter. Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they asked him about her. So he stood over her, Jesus did, and rebuked the fever, and it left her. She got up immediately and began to serve them. My wife was reading this in her quiet time the other day. And she said she was amazed because she's like, here's this woman who's got a fever. And in those days, fever meant like you're going to die. They didn't have antibiotics. Like it was scary when you got a fever because how do we get it out of you, right? And so this was a scary moment. And Jesus casts out, and immediately she gets up to serve. She's like, okay, it's time for me to serve everybody in my house now. I feel better and I'm not going to make you sick. Let's go. My wife's like, that's amazing. Because I'd be like, I'm, you guys just do your thing. I'm going to rest here a little while, you know, like I'm. And this woman is like up and going to serve Jesus and serve the people that are in her home. She's like, I just want to be a servant and I can't. And now that I'm healed, I can be. It wasn't a show. It was just, I, I want to serve. And here's Jesus and he, he casts it out. Now here's the interesting part. If Simon Peter, i.e. how Catholics get the Pope that transcends from Simon Peter, the Pope who's single, right? He, Never married because you can't marry if you're a priest. How did Simon have a mother-in-law? He says Simon's mother-in-law. Catholics don't dispute that. Their excuse is that Simon's wife died. And then he never remarried. So you should never marry if you're a priest. That, that, look, 
If you want to believe that, then you're going to have even more problems with this. Look, see, what is this message? We have to test the messages we hear, not just accept them. 1 Corinthians 9.5 says this. Don't we have the right to be accompanied by a Christian wife like the other apostles, the Lord's brothers, and Cephas? That was another name for Peter, was Cephas? Wait, Peter's wife was traveling with him? Now, the way the Catholics get around this is here's what they say. Well, the word in the Greek there means sister wife, not real wife. So that's where they get nuns from who have to stay single and never be married. See, you begin to twist scripture, not just take it for what it is. You begin to twist. It's not wrong to be single and serve the Lord. Paul was single and serve the Lord. That's why he's saying, is it wrong? No, you can... You could travel with a wife. I choose not to travel. I travel with Timothy. I travel with these guys. We, we plant churches. It's not wrong. And then he says, what then is my reward? I don't get a wife. I don't get kids. You know, what's my reward? Peter gets a wife. He gets kids. He, he gets to lead the church. And here I am all over the Roman world. Paul says to preach the gospel, the message, and offer it free of charge and not to make full use of my authority and the gospel. It's not about me. It's about the messenger. It's about Jesus and his message. And so I don't worry about it. Peter gets to travel with a wife. He gets to travel, but I, I don't. And that's okay. I'm okay with that. See, that, that's someone who's been humbled by this message. He goes on and he says this, when the sun was setting, all those who had anyone sick with various diseases brought them to him. So the sun is going down. It's getting dark. It's night. Jesus is tired. He's been serving all day. He's been walking. He's been doing everything that he's been asked to do. And he laid hands on each one of them and he would heal them. Also demons were coming out of many, shouting and saying, you are the son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Messiah. You know the crazy part is? The demons believe better than we do. The demons don't even doubt that Jesus is the Son of God. They're trying to out him as fast as they can so he can not get his message done and not get his mission done, but get him taken out faster. That's why Jesus is like, shut up, it's not time yet. You have the right message, you have the wrong timing. That's what Jesus is saying here. Right message, wrong timing, be quiet. It's a beautiful picture of how to share the message of who he is with people. And you know, often the demonic can be more vocal about Jesus than his own family will be, us. He goes on and it says this, when it was day, he went and made his way to a deserted place. Listen, you would too. You're tired. I gotta get away from these people. I gotta recharge. I gotta spend some time praying. I gotta spend some time with my heavenly father. I am peopled out, right? Like, I just, I need a break. But the crowds were searching for him. <laughs> they're seeking him out. They came to him and tried to keep him from leaving them. Now they're like boxing him in. You can't leave. Why? Not because we believe your message, but we want what you got. We want healing. We want all the stuff you come with. But he said to them, I must proclaim the good news about the kingdom of God to the other towns also because I was sent for this purpose. This is my message. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Galilee. See, they wanted to keep him as the genie. Jesus, stay with us so we can rub you and make our wish and get what we want. If you leave us, then we don't know what to do with about that. Because if you leave, then we're either going to have to leave with you and leave everything behind to follow you to where you're going. Or we could try to keep you here so we can rub the genie and get our wish. We'd rather just try to keep you here. And Jesus is like, that ain't how it works. 
You either follow me where I'm going, but if you want me to stay where you are in your will and your way, doesn't work. There's a message that's got to go out, and it's not about you keeping me. It's about you understanding that you have me and you go out. God calls some people to stay. There were miracles he did in the New Testament where he told them, do not follow me. Stay where you're at and make me known to the people there. And there were other times when he looked at people and said, you need to come follow me. You need to get away from that. You need to get away from that life. And you leave it all and come follow me. Jesus knows the heart. He knows what to tell people. And in this circumstance, he knows their heart. You're trying to keep me as your genie, and I'm not doing it. And can I be honest? There are many of us that come to faith in Jesus that way. That we want him to be our genie. We rub him and we get heaven. We rub him and we get good wealth. We, we rub him and we get this thing. And there is a lot of false messages out there that promise that garbage. And it is garbage. Jesus is laying this out. He's like, I've got to tell other people. He goes on. As the crowd was pressing in to hear God's word, he was standing by the lake Genesaret. He saw two boats at the edge of the lake. The fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. So these guys have been fishing all day. He was trying to, he's been fishing all day. The crowds are pressing in. It's getting dark. These fishermen are washing their nets, minding their own business, cleaning up their nets to probably go fish the next day. They've been fishing all day long. He got into one of the boats, which belonged to Simon. Oh, same Simon, Simon Peter, and asked him to put out a little from the land. Can you imagine? You've been fishing all day. I already had you in my house. You brought a whole crowd of people in. And we had to serve all of you. And now I'm trying to get my nets clean so I can go home and rest. Because i got to fish tomorrow to support my family. And now you show up, climb in the boat, and you're like, let's go. Like, what? I'm tired. He looks and he says, then he sat down and was teaching the crowds from the boat. So now Peter's like, okay, I'll sit and listen. It's fine. i get my nets done. I'll just sit and listen. When he had finished speaking, he looked at Simon. He said to Simon, put out into deep water and let your nets down for a cat. I just washed my nets. <laughs> I love this. I love this. He's like, hey, let's, let's go fishing. I've been fishing all day. Like, all day long I've been fishing. I got my nets clean. I'm ready to go home, ready to see my wife, my mother-in-law. I'm ready, I'm ready to go home. Right? Like, no. And look what he says. Simon Peter replied, master, we've worked hard all night long and caught nothing. In other words, it sounds like they were actually fishing all the night before and all day. Now they're, like, he's like, I'm tired. And Jesus says, okay, no problem. You're right. Let's go home. Nope. Because Peter says this, but at your word, I'll let down the nets. <laughs> if this is what you want, I saw you do a miracle in the life of my mother. I, I, I've known you since you were a boy. We grew up together in Galilee. I trust you. If you want me to go back out in a boat in the middle of the night and drop, I'm, okay, I'm in. Okay, whatever. So they do. He goes out. When it, they did this, they caught a great number of fish and their nets began to tear. <laughs> they just got done cleaning them. Now they're going to have to fix them, right? Like, like now they're going to have to fix the nets. Let me go back. I might have accidentally got a little clicker happy there. Sorry about that. They begin to tear. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come help them. Can you imagine the scene? I'm going to throw this net over. 
get it in the water. Hey, yeah, Jesus, we're putting the net in. And then he turns his back, and you're throwing the net in because you've been out there all, you know what I mean? And you, he told me to put the net in. I'm putting it in. And then all of a sudden, the boat is like, oh, wait, what's going on? Oh, we're the boat. Help! Like they're calling other fishermen from the shore in the middle of the, come help us. They're like, what are they doing? They're not, this isn't even the time of day to fish. Like, what are they doing out there? You've got to come help us. Now that there's a commotion, they're coming out. When Simon Peter saw this, look at this. It came and they filled both boats so, so full they began to sink. The boat went down into the water. It's like, uh, we're not going to get back to shore with these fish or with us maybe. Like this, don't get caught in the net on the way down. Like it, it looks and it says, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me. Everyone else was trying to keep Jesus for themselves, to be their genie. And Simon Peter in that moment realizes the message that he is a sinner, that his heart is hard, that he doesn't want to listen to this man. He's probably going out in frustration and he was gracious to him with his attitude. And Simon Peter's attitude is not, hey, let's, let's go out fishing me and you every day. This is a good idea. I can make some money here. I can really be profitable in my life if Jesus is in my boat. No. He looks and he says, go, go away from me. I'm not even worthy to be in your presence because I'm a sinful man, Lord. I'm a sinner. I've got no business being blessed like this. For, and it says, for he and all those with him were amazed at the catch of fish they took, and so were James and John, two more of Jesus' disciples. They were the sons of thunder who came to help. Zebedee's sons, who were Simon's partners, don't be afraid, Jesus told Simon. Simon, you are. He didn't say you're not a sinner. He didn't say you shouldn't feel this way. He looked at him and he said, I know how you feel, but don't be afraid. Jesus told Simon, from now on, you will be catching people. And they brought the boats to the land, left everything, and followed him. They didn't try to keep him on their mission. They got on his mission. And they left their nets. They left everything. The nets they had just cleaned. The nets that are ripped, which is probably kind of nice. You know, like, they're ripped. Ha, good. And he's like, there's a, there's a little bit of relief there. They left it all. They had been fishermen since age 12. For 18 years, their whole life, generations back, all they knew was fishing. And Peter gets it. And he says, I, I quit. I get the message that you're speaking. And I'm in. While he was in one of the towns, a man, this is Jesus, was there who had a serious skin disease all over him. He saw Jesus. He fell face down and begged him, Lord, if you're willing, can you make me clean? Notice he doesn't say, you make me clean. He says, if you're willing, if you're willing, would you make me clean? He doesn't demand. He just says, if you're willing, make me clean. Reaching out his hand, Jesus touched him, saying, I am willing, be made clean. And immediately the disease left him. Listen, you are not to touch unclean people. Leviticus 15.22 says, whoever touches anything on which someone is unclean, a seat, a piece of clothing, much less the person, you have to go bathe in water and be unclean until evening, and then the priest has to declare you clean to get back in to the synagogue, get back into the temple. Jesus touching him was a serious issue. For him to touch him was such an act of compassion and love, to touch this dirty, filthy man and love him. It meant that if he wasn't clean, Jesus was going to have to escape and the crowds couldn't get to him. 
That's a real act of faith to trust your heavenly father and say, I'll obey the law. If you want me to be unclean, I'll go out. Jesus knew what was going to happen. And he healed this man. And look at what he says. And then ordered him to tell no one. Don't tell anyone about this healing because then everybody's going to want to come for the goodies. He doesn't say, don't tell them about the message of repentance that I'm sharing. He says, don't get so excited about your healing that you miss the message. But go and show yourself to the priest and offer what Moses prescribed for your cleansing as a testimony to them. He says, you obey the Old Testament. I know I'm the son of God and I've cleansed you, but you need to do what's right. You've got to be declared clean by a priest. You've got to go to them. You have to give the offering that's required. But the news about him spread even more and large crowds would come together to hear him and be healed of their sickness. Luke 15, 17. On one of those days while he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the laws were sitting there, had come from every village in Galilee and Judea and all the, also from Jerusalem. Now all the leaders are coming because their people are going to Jesus and they want to know who is this guy and what is his message. And the Lord's power to heal was on him. Just then some men came carrying a mat. Okay, get the scene. Jesus is in a home with a bunch of religious leaders. These are the the leaders of the country, of the area, of Galilee, the leaders of the religious people of this day. They are pressing in. No one else can get in except these religious folks. This is like a, a big convocation, a big religious people conference, right? They're in this meeting, and look what happens. Look. Just then some men came carrying on a mat a man who was paralyzed. They tried to bring him in and set him down before him. Since they could not find a way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on the mat through the roof tiles into the middle of the crowd before Jesus. Again, you're sitting in a church service. Ceiling tiles start being pulled off. Little white fuzzies start falling down on your head. Insulation starts coming down. You're like, you're trying to pay attention to me speaking. And you're like, ah, ah. You have no idea what I'm saying. Uh Uh-huh, yeah, Ceiling tiles are coming off. Like, do you, do you know what's happening? Yeah, I know. I'm just talking to you. It's great. You know? It's, it's, oh, and now a person is coming down on a zip line, right? And you're like, was this planned? Is this like a scene? Is this a show? I, seal it, the, the tiles start to come off the ceiling. The sunlight shines through. And you're like, is he going to address this? And I'm like, yeah, I'm just teaching. And you're like, there, there's someone ripping the ceiling off. Do you not recognize that? just teaching right along and it says they lowered him on the mat through the roof tiles into the middle of the crowd before Jesus Jesus is teaching all of a sudden guy comes in like oh hey what's up good to see you guys like this is crazy right it goes on and if you could picture the scene it's just nuts and listen This man must have been some kind of guy to have friends that would do this for him. Most of my friends would not rip someone else's roof off that they didn't own the building to, to lower me down, knowing that they would have to go back up and fix it to get me to Jesus. They'd be like, yeah, we'll have to go another time, Matt. I gotta eat dinner. Like, that's my friends. That's the kind of friend I tend to be. I'm not carrying you on a mat, trying to get through the crowd. Then the religious people say, you can't come in. And then I'm like, oh, Let's go to the roof. That would not be my idea. My idea would be like, let's take him home. We'll feed him some soup and we'll just wait. Like, that would be my idea. No, these guys are like, look, we come all, we got to get him to Jesus. We, we love him. He loves us. We're friends. Like, we, we got to rip the roof off. Like, this is crazy. And it says, on one of those days, 
Sorry, next passage. Seeing their faith, Jesus says, that's incredible faith. That you want to get to me so bad that I've come to seek and to save you. I've come to seek and to save you and you are meeting me. You're coming to seek and save me too. That's the kind of faith I'm looking for. All you religious leaders who are here to question me and ask me all the, like, that's the faith I'm looking for. You guys aren't here because you believe me. You're here because you don't want to lose what you have or you want to get something. These guys are like, we got no other option. And they're lowering a crippled man down on a mat through the roof. Now, think of yourself as a crippled man. Did he agree to this? Have you ever thought about that in this story? Was he like, yeah, that sounds like, let's get on a roof with crippled me. Good idea. Like, let's push me up. Oh, this is fun. We're up high. We're gonna, oh, we're going to lower me down. Great idea, friends. I, I think this is awesome that we're going to lower me. Paralyze. If I fall off, I'm just going to like, and that's it. Like, this is a wonderful idea. Like, I don't know what the guy, maybe he had faith too. Like, get me to Jesus. And they were like, okay, we will. Because that's what it seems like. But, and it says, that's why the faith is so amazing. Friend, look what he says. He calls him friend. He doesn't say sinner. He says friend. Your sins are forgiving you. All these religious leaders, all they're trying to do all the time is try to figure out how to get people to come to them to get forgiveness, to make sacrifices, to give indulgences or offerings, trying to get them to come to them. And this Jesus has the audacity to call this paralyzed man who just ripped the roof off of a building with a bunch of friends, lowered it, call him a friend? What are we? We didn't rip the roof off. Then the scribes and Pharisees began to think, who is this man who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? See, they had never been teaching their people that they could be forgiven. That a God that says he, does, he wants to give compassion and grace and forgiveness, and these men, these religious leaders, were not telling people they could be forgiven. Because the second he tells someone they can be forgiven, they're like, you can't say that. And Jesus is like, that's my whole message. My whole message is that there's forgiveness for people who have faith and believe that they need to be saved like Peter just did in the boat, like this paralyzed man and his friends. But perceiving their thoughts, Jesus replied to them, why are you thinking this in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven? I mean, that's easy. I want to be forgiven. Great, your sins are forgiven. And then you go about your day and you go get lunch at Bub's. Like it's, you know, which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man, remember the Old Testament Messiah, Son of Man from Daniel, he uses that phrase on purpose to put them in a bind with their theology, has authority on earth to forgive sins. He told the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, pick up your mat, go home. He didn't say, come follow me, which is what he just said to Peter. He told this man, you're forgiven. You know me. You're my friend. Go home. Go home. Goes on and it says, immediately he got up, went before them, picked up what he'd been lying on, <laughs> and went home glorifying God. This is awesome. I can walk. I just ripped the roof off. This is incredible. And I get to go home while they put the roof back on. That's even better. Right? They tore it up. You guys fix it. 
He told me to go home. Bye. Like, you get to leave the mess. And it says, then everyone was astounded, and they were giving glory to God. Everybody's like, what is this? God, you, to you be the glory. And they were filled with awe and said, we've seen incredible things today. We've never seen anything like this. After this, Jesus went out. He saw a tax collector. He's not done yet. He goes to a tax collector. These were the most despised people in all of the known, like, believing world at that time. These tax collectors, they, they skimmed taxes. They paid temple tax. They collected Roman tax. They, they were the people just like the IRS. When the IRS calls, you hate. They send you a letter. You're like, ah. When you get the fake call, you're like, I need to find out if this is real, but I don't want to. Right? The fake IRS scam. It's the same thing. He sees this guy sitting at a tax office, and he said to me, look at this. He doesn't say you're healed. Stop collecting taxes and go home. He looks at Levi. He goes, hey, follow me. Now, remember, Levi grew up in Galilee. He would have known Jesus. Jesus probably had paid taxes to this guy before from his business as a construction guy. He would probably always pay his tax on time and perfectly and probably was extra generous because he's Jesus, okay? So Levi knows him. He's like, hey, come follow me. Levi probably hated his job, probably hated that he was a tax collector because no one liked the tax collectors. And it says, so leaving everything behind, he got up and began to follow him. Then Levi, look what he does. Then Levi hosted a grand banquet for him at his house. He's so amazed by the message that Jesus gives. He's like, I'll follow you. Then there was a large crowd of tax collectors and others who, who were guests with them. But the Pharisees and scribes were complaining to his disciples. This is what always happens. People will not come to you. They'll go to the sheep around and they will complain and gripe and they'll get a coalition together and then they'll go to the leader and say, we believe, some people have said that this should happen. Who are some people? This is the first I've heard of it. No different. The Pharisees know how to do their business. This is what they do. They get a people stirred up, which is how they end up crucifying Jesus in the end. They go behind the scenes and stir up the crowds to get Jesus crucified. They don't take it head on. Not at all. And this is exactly what they do. They go to the disciples and they test them and pick at them. And it says, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? They look at the disciples and say, you got some weird people in your church. There's got tax collectors and sinners, and we don't, we don't have those in our church, in our temple, in our synagogue. We, those people have to change before we can even touch them, before we can even be present, because we're so holy and awesome. And he's looking at the disciples, and they're going, isn't that what you've been taught? Isn't that what the Old Testament says, is that you shouldn't be around dirty people like that? Why do you eat and drink? But the Pharisees and their scribes were complaining. And then it says, Jesus replied to them. He, he heard what was going on or he intuitively knew. The healthy don't need a doctor. Remember who's writing this story. It's a physician. It's Luke. This is a powerful moment in this book when Luke says, I'm a doctor. And it's not healthy people who need a doctor, but the sick do. How many of you have ever been sick and you refuse to see a doctor? Don't raise your hand because I don't want you to be embarrassed. And if you don't raise your hand, I don't want the person next to you to elbow you. Be like, you do it all the time. So just, right? Like you're on your deathbed. I'll be fine. Sweat's coming down. You're like, you know, you're taking as much Advil and Tylenol as you. I'll be good. I can, I can make it, you know? Like, because you won't recognize you're sick. Everybody around, you look horrible. Are you sick? No, I'm fine. 
No, you're sick. Go to a doctor. No, I, I, I can get through it. I just pray. It'll just change. Humble yourself and go see a doctor. It's no different. Jesus is like, I'm a doctor, and I'm looking for those who will humble themselves to say, I'm sick. I'm a sinner. I need saved. I need help. That's who I'm looking for. But I got a bunch of people running around going, I'm not sick. I'm good. I'm fine. Well, I mean, I got this toothache. Can you fix that? But no other parts. I know there's some other stuff that's messed up, but just the tooth. Can you just do that right now? Because I want to keep the other, like, that's what we do. Jesus is like, I'm looking for those who are sick. I've not come to call the righteous. The people who say, I don't need a doctor. I'm fine. I'll be just, miraculous healing will happen. I need to submit to no one. Like, no, I'm not looking to call righteous people, people that think that they're right all the time and they don't need a savior and they're not sinners. I came to call sinners to repentance. And don't you love it when the doctor, you go to the doctor and he looks at you and he goes, oh, you just got a cold. And you're like, oh, yeah, I told my whole family I just had a cold. They wouldn't listen to me. And I just spent $100 to have a doctor tell me I got a cold. And you're just, you know, you're all mad. And then the doctor does that thing, right? It's It's beautiful. He looks and he goes, but there's some other things I'd like to talk to you about, Mr. Shockney. Looks like you're about 30 pounds overweight. It's not good for your heart. We probably need to do something about that. I didn't ask for that. I came here to find out why I had a fever. I didn't ask for you to tell me this stuff. Well, Mr. Shockney, we noticed that, you know, your cholesterol, you know, there's some things here I'm not really liking. And, you know, you told us what you had for breakfast, and that's not good. Like, you're going to die. Like, I mean... He starts being honest with you. You haven't been in for a checkup for like three years. You need a colonoscopy. You need, and they're like, I'm not, no, I'm good. I didn't ask for all this. See, that's what Jesus does because he loves us enough to tell us the truth and say, I want to care for you. I'm looking for people that will allow me to care for them, but everybody's running around saying, I'm good. I'm not a sinner. I don't need to do anything different. I don't need to change my lifestyle. I love my lifestyle, my identity. I'll do what I want to do. Jesus is like, I can't help you then because you're not looking for a doctor. And if I did try to help you as a doctor, you'd beat me up and leave me in the street. You'd throw me off a cliff. I'm looking for people who know they're sick, who want a savior. They know they're sick. Are you ready for this? With a spiritual cancer. Cancer is the dreaded word that you never want to hear. But can I tell you that the Bible says that there is a spiritual cancer. There is a DNA that is broken in us, a spiritual cancer that only God can heal. And it will not be healed in these bodies. It will only ultimately be healed when we get new bodies in heaven, Jesus says. We are going to struggle with that spiritual cancer our whole lives. He forgives us. He restores us. But he says, one day I'm going to give you a new body. Then they said to him, look at this. He does this miracle. He does all this stuff. He, he's, he, they're questioning his disciples, and they say, well, John's disciples fast often and say prayers, and those of the Pharisees the same, but yours eat and drink. Okay, so the, the issue we were just dealing with didn't work. Let's try to get him on something else. Well, you guys don't fast and pray as much as we do. Seriously, so Jesus looks. He says, Jesus said to them, you can't make the wedding guests fast while the groom is with them. Like, the, like, it's like the bride and groom show up for the wedding. You're waiting at the reception. You've been waiting an hour because pictures ran over, and they wanted everybody to wait for the wedding party, and you're like, I'm so hungry. You're pulling mints out of your bag, gum for the whole family. You're doing everything. You, all the water's gone on the table. The tea's missing. Half your cake is gone because it's always there early, and you're, like, trying to cut it so it doesn't look like you ate half of it. Right? I mean, you're doing everything you can, and then the bride and groom show up, and they're like, oh, we're not going to eat. We're just going to look at the food. It's fine. You're going to be like, we're leaving. 
Like, congratulations, our presence on the table. We're going to McDonald's. See ya. Like, get out the door. Jesus is like, I'm here with the bread of life. I am the bread of life. I've come to give it to you. It's not time for them to fast. It's time for them to feast on me. It's time for them to feast on my words, feast on my presence, not fast. And you guys are missing it. You're fasting when you should be feasting. And then he says, look at this. But the time will come when the groom will be taken away from him. Then they will fast in those days. There's going to be a day when the feasting stops and now you've got to fast and pray because someday I'm going to come back and take you to the ultimate feast, Jesus says in Revelation. So it's time to feast, then it's going to be time to fast. and then it's going to be... So we're in a time of fasting, you and I. We're in a time of fasting and praying that God would bring his feast to earth. That's what the Feast of Tabernacles is all about in the Old Testament. God will bring his feast to us. And we wait for Jesus' second coming for that. I love this passage because Jesus is like pointing everything to himself and everything to this message. And then he says, he told them a parable. No one tears a patch from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. It's real simple. I wouldn't go out and buy a brand new shirt. Okay, some of you would. You know who you are. Go out and buy a brand new shirt. Cut a patch off your brand new shirt because your old shirt's more comfortable. Sew the new piece of garment on your old shirt. Put your old shirt on and be like, look, I still got my old shirt. Looks great, doesn't it? Like, no, it looks horrible. And you cut up the shirt I gave you. What are you doing? Well, this is my most comfy shirt. I like my comfy shirt. Like, that's, Jesus is like, that's nuts. If somebody's doing that, you're nuts. I'm just, I'm just being honest. You can look at your spouse, your kid, you're nuts. Like, it, it's just, no. You know, it's like when you try to give your kid a new blankie because their old one's got holes in it and slobber and blood that you can't get out. And it's like this, they've puked on it multiple, and you're like, you, you need a new blankie. And you try to get one that's almost identical, and you hand it to them, and they're like, ah, no, I don't want that. I can't sleep, right? See, that's our problem. We so want the old, we can't sleep. We want the familiar, the sin in our life. We can't give it up for something better. That's exactly what Jesus is telling these scribes and Pharisees. And he says, and no one, look at this. Otherwise, not only will he tear the new, but also the piece from the new garment will not match the old. In other words, it's going to rip apart because they don't match. They shrink differently. And no one puts new wine in old wineskins. Wineskins were made to ferment and grow. If you put new wine in them, they just burst. That's what he says. They will burst in the skins. It will spill out and the skins will be ruined. But new wine should be put in fresh wineskins. And no one, after drinking old wine, wants the new because he says, oh, the old is better. Exactly. I want my old blank. I want my old blankie back. I don't like this new one. Who do you think you are as a parent giving me a new blankie, right? Trying to bless me. I don't want a blessing. I want my old nasty, filthy, germ-infested, you know. One of our daughters had this stuffed animal that went on every trip, and we, we it's called Chubbs, and we tried to wash this thing, and it's the most nasty. Like, you spray it, you do everything, you, and it's just like it's, the hair's all matted, and you're like, I don't know how many diseases are in that thing. You know what I mean? It's the same thing. Jesus is like, that's our heart. He's like, that's you religious folks. That's your heart. You're so used to your traditions and your ways, you won't let anything new happen. And Jesus says, I'm trying to bring the freshness and newness of God into your life, and you don't want it. And he said, here's what's going to happen. If you try to keep this law, if you try to keep all this, and you try to work your way to heaven, you know what's going to happen in your life? You're going to burst. You're going to quit. It's going to kill you. Because you can't measure up to God. And Jesus says, but if you'll let me 
kill the mess in you. I'll give you a new body, a new life. And if you embrace that new body and fill it up, it'll produce fruit. It'll ferment. It'll be in a beautiful new garment for people to see. He goes on and it says this. This is what 1 John 5, 2, 15. John, this was probably John, one of the sons of Zebedee, possibly. Could be the other John. My little children, John says. Remember how Jesus looked and called him friend? My little children, John says. I'm writing to you these things so that you may not sin. Here's the message. Don't, don't sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. We have the Messiah who was Yahweh who saves. That's who we have. This is how we are sure that we have come to know him by keeping his commands. Do not love the world or the things that belong to the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything that belongs to the world, look at this, here it is. Here's the old life, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride in one's lifestyle is not from the Father. That's the old wineskin. That's the old garment. The new garment embraces a death to the flesh, a covenant with the eyes to honor God with our eyes and a humbleness in our lifestyle. And the world with its lust is passing away, but the one who does God's will will remain forever, remains forever. And what does Jesus say God's will is? To admit that you're a sinner and that you need to repent and embrace his grace and forgiveness that the, that the Pharisees and Sadducees would never give to the people that confidence. And I'm telling you, there's a confidence in Jesus to know that we have a righteous one that advocates on our behalf when we sin. If we've trusted our life to him, if we've surrendered, if we've bowed like Simon Peter did, if we've bowed like the people we just read about and said, I, I bow to you, I I'm done. If you do that, Jesus says there is always a place for you to come, to seek, to be saved, and to not ever feel lost. It's beautiful. And he says, the lust of the flesh, that's going to get you. What you, my feeling, what I want to feel, that's going to eat you alive. He says, the lust of the eyes, you start seeing things you want, you start going after them. Don't do the pride of well, well, that's what I've decided, and that's what I'm going to do. Don't, don't go there. As we wrap up, Romans 12.1 says this. This is the Apostle Paul writing. He says, therefore, brothers. So we've been called friends, right? We've been called children. Now Paul says brothers. These are family. These are, these are intimate relationships by the mercies of God. He doesn't say by the wrath of God, by the justice of God. He says by the mercies that God offers you, the mercy that Christ brings I urge you to present your flesh, your bodies, your eyes, your heart as a living sacrifice. You know what the problem is with a living sacrifice? When the heat gets turned up, we jump off. <laughs> That's the problem with a living sacrifice. Ow, 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 I'm off. And God's like, when Jesus had the heat turned up, you know what he did? stayed on the cross and said, Father, forgive these people. They don't know what they're doing. Not, I'm getting off here. You guys are idiots. I'm starting over. We'll have another Noah moment. Okay, here we go. No, he stayed for us. And then he says, do not be conformed to this age. Oh, 
He says, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. In other words, when we do that, when we say, God, here I am, I'm yours, when we fall on our face like Simon did in the boat, it's the same response from Jesus. He looks and he, he says, I want to make you holy. You're pleasing to me when you do that. That pleases me. But God's saying, yes, this is your spiritual worship. We come here and we sing songs and we listen to the Bible. Your spiritual, the real worship, the real worship that matters is the worship that just falls and says, your way, not mine. Your eyes, not my eyes. Your flesh, not my flesh. Your ways, not mine. That's the real stuff. And then he says, don't be conformed to this age. There's a world trying to press in and conform you. You gotta rip the roof off and lower it down. <laughs> they won't let you in. You, you gotta get to Jesus. And then he says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. So that you may discern. So that you may, you ready for this? You may discern what the message is. The only way you're gonna discern the messages in life that God has for you is if you're willing to do what Christ did, which was to offer himself to us. If you offer yourself to God and offer yourself to others, then you'll begin to know what God's true message is to you. And here's the message all the way through the Bible is come, repent, be baptized, be a part of the covenant family and produce fruit. That's what the whole message of the Bible, come to me and we run away. We go to the tree of knowledge where we shouldn't be instead of going to the tree of life and going to the one who gives life. We don't repent, we make excuses, we blame everyone else. Instead of saying, I'm to blame, I'm on my face, you're God. We, we allow ourselves to be cleansed by him. That's baptism. It's a symbol of cleansing. God, you have to cleanse me. I can't do it. And by faith, I trust you to do that. And when we go through that process, we get this heart and we begin to see God produce his fruit in us that we can't do on our own. That's the message from Genesis to Revelation. It's the same one we talk about in our church. It's go, know, show, and grow. That we have to go to God. We have to go to his people. We have to come before him first. When we do that, he shows us who he is. We can know him. And then we show him by baptism, by, by declaring our cleanliness in him. And then when we do that, the natural byproduct is we start growing. We want to read the Bible. We want to obey him. It just, it's a natural byproduct of those go, know, show, and grow things that we talk about in our church. And then the message is this. Now that you've done that, now go back out so that you can know other people and help them know me. So you can show other people and help them show who I am in my glory so that everyone can grow together until the day I come back and give you new wineskins, new bodies. It's the message of the gospel. Let me ask you. Have you embraced this message? Have you embraced the message of surrender to a God that's done everything? And if you have, you can know, unlike the Sadducees and the Pharisees, that there is a God who offers you forgiveness. He extends grace and mercy to you, because you not because you deserve it, because that's just the God he is. Because he wants to show off how great he is and how loving and how compassionate. And if we reject that, all that's left for him is the other part of his character, which is to be a righteous, loving judge and a holy God. And so if you're dealing with stuff, listen, go to him, come to him, repent, allow him to cleanse you and allow the body of Christ to come around you to help you be cleansed and then produce fruit with us. Go out, tell people about what he's done for you. Make the message known. 
That's the gospel message. That's the message. What is the message? That Jesus is who he says he is. He's the son of God. He is the son of man. And this is what he wants to do in your life and in my life and the life of every people out there, even the people who attended Pride Fest this past week. He loves them too. And this is a hard message for them because they have pride as their number one thing. The pride of lifestyle that has to be given up just as much as I have to give up the pride of my own. That's what we have to do. 